Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, today is Wednesday, February the 24th, 2021, and this is episode 2829 uh, of the Survival Podcast. Podcast. I have Rob Torsellini on with me today. We're going to talk about aquaponics, greenhouse growing, farming for income, running a content creation business as well, because he has almost 100,000 subscribers on YouTube. Uh, we're gonna even hear, you're going to even hear me talk to him a little bit about, hey, you know, you might want to protect that investment in content by getting your channel over to Odyssey as well, uh, which he was pretty open to as well, which I thought was really cool. I think we need to get more and more of these high-value producers like Rob to get their content on these alternative platforms, or as I should say, the new platforms, instead of the legacy platforms. YouTube is a legacy platform with outdated technology. I just had a, a listener reach out to me today uh, that wanted me to get involved with their new video uh, platform. And you know what I told them? No. You know why? It's not blockchain. I mean, first of all, I really love Odyssey Library, and I love Jeremy Kaufman, who's the founder, and I'm pretty loyal. I like to find places to kind of anchor down and really be a part of that community, not just another thing I can use. Uh, but the other side of it is, to me, if you're going into content hosting today, if you're going into social media, what have you, if you're not on a blockchain, I'm not investing in you. I'm not. I'm sorry. I'm not. Because let's say that you are as pure as the driven snow with your commitment to free speech and you don't ever screw over your users, ever. You don't ever screw over your customers. An advertiser comes to you and says, if you don't get rid of Jack Spierko, that lunatic who doesn't believe in science, and it thinks there's only two genders, then we are not advertising with you. And, 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 and that company goes, yeah, go screw, like they should. It's, it's still only a matter of time before they get parlored, Right? You know, where they lose their hosting. And if you get to any level of size with that, like, there's only a few data centers out there that you can, if you're the size of a parlor or the size of a MeWe or whatever, there's only a few places you can go. And I know what you're thinking, Jack. You said that you're only going to do blockchain, but, like, you're on MeWe. They're not blockchain. Yeah, I know. I have what you call a sunken cost there. Like, I've already made the effort. I've already, But anything new, I just turned down another thing that somebody invited me to. Two really cool guys in the audience. I really love them both. They're on something called Clubhouse, and you have to get invited to be there. And they sent me an invite. And I'm like, I'm not putting my effort into anything somebody can take away from me. So not really what we're talking about today, but just I, I really know there's a lot of you guys building up out there. And I, the one exception I would make, if I had no video content, I was going to go in the video, I would still put my content on YouTube today. I would market Library Odyssey, but I would put it on YouTube because of the pull-through that you get from that. Um and maybe, maybe I wouldn't. I don't know. I don't know. It's easy for me to say because I have like you know fifty thousand subscribers there right now, and it's pretty automated income at this point. But I just wonder, like, had Odyssey existed twelve years ago when I started doing YouTube videos, and I'd put the kind of effort into Odyssey that I've put into YouTube and and given it my sole, you know, input, what it would be today. It would probably be insane what it would be today. So maybe I wouldn't even do that. I don't know. But anyway, 
We're going to talk about other things today. We're talking about, again, aquaponics, greenhouse growing, farming for a living, and more uh, with Rob. Rob has about 90,000 subscribers on YouTube, and uh, really a great guy. The other thing I want to know, you know about him before I finish up the housekeeping today and sponsor spots and all, Rob is, is in a very small group of people that have been on TSP at this point. People who I looked at and saw what they were doing and said, holy crap, this person is awesome. I want this person talking to my audience and invited them. I think there might be, after, what, 2,800 episodes of the show, almost 13, it'll be 13 years in June, there might be 20 people. There might be 20 people who have been invited. Now, there's people that have been guests, and I've invited them back on. I don't mean that. I mean that their first appearance was an invite appearance. We stay so booked, I just don't usually do that. I was checking out some stuff on YouTube, and I saw some really cool ways he was handling stuck bell siphons, and I'm like, this guy's awesome. I reached out to him, asked him some questions, and after he helped me out, and he had no idea who I was, by the way. He, you know, He was helping me out the way he'd help anybody else out. I'm like, dude. I got a show with over 250,000 people listening to it. Would you like to come on? And he said, yeah, I would. So we'll have him on in just a moment. Before we, we get him on, let's go ahead and remind you about our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor day number one today is Butcher Box. Um, real easy company for me to endorse because I love their products so much. Do you know what? Last night I ate um, pastured pork tenderloin from Butcher Box. you know what I ate the night before? Strip steaks from, from Butcher Box. Tonight I'm not eating food from Butcher Box, but I eat food from Butcher Box several times a week, and it's easy for me to do that because they pay me in meat. Right? I get a big, giant box of meat in return for their sponsorship, um, which that says a lot too, doesn't it, that I would take their product in barter for their sponsorship spot. And I'll tell you what, guys, if you give Butcher Box a try, you're really going to like what you get. Top quality food, pastured pork, grass-fed beef, pastured poultry, Lots of cool stuff. Check them out today at ButcherBox.com. Remember, MSB members, you get $10 a month off your box. That's $120 a year just by being an MSB member. Next up today, Backwoods Home Magazine. Easiest, easiest company I ever had to decide whether I wanted to endorse them or not. Easiest one ever. And, and I'll, I'll tell you how come it was that easy. In 1993, when I got out of the Army, I came after I took my walk on the Appalachian Trail, I came down here to Texas, stayed with a friend. My car broke down. There was a mall about a mile walk, and there was a Barnes & Noble bookstore there. And because I was trying to scrape money together to get my car fixed, it was a pretty big problem the car had. Uh, I, for a couple months, I pretty much walked every day just for something to do. And uh, I would walk down there, and I would go to the Barnes & Noble bookstore, and I'd get a couple books and a couple magazines and sit in one of those big plush chairs they used to have. I'd order a coffee so I didn't feel like a bum, and I'd sit down and drink a coffee or a latte or something like that, and I'd read. And one of the things I found during that time period was Backwoods Home Magazine. Not long after that, I got my car fixed, I got a job, and I got a paycheck. And I subscribed to the first magazine I ever subscribed to as an adult with my own money. I was 22 years old at the time, and it was Backwoods Home Magazine. I'm almost 50 now, and I'm still a subscriber. I don't think I should have to say any more as to why you might want to check out BackwoodsHome.com. With that, let's go ahead and... Uh, Introduce our special guest. Again, his name is Rob Torsellini. He is just an awesome guy. His professional career has been in agriculture, wastewater management, industrial controls, and automation. 
Uh, he's been doing that for over ten, for for a long time, his whole adult life. Uh, for the last ten years, he's been growing and using aquaponics, doing experiments with greenhouse, rocket mass heaters, all kinds of cool stuff. And with that, hey Rob, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Well, thanks for having me. Hey, I'm glad to have you on. I remember reaching out to you. I found a pretty cool little way you were doing some ebb and flow, and I was like, man, this this guy's awesome. He should be on the show. Uh, so we're going to be talking about aquaponics, a little bit about greenhouses, growing your own food. We're going to talk a little bit about being a video content producer. But can we start out with who the heck is Rob, man? Like, take us back to like you're spacing out in study hall in high school or something, and how do you end up where you are in the world today? Uh, it, it could be a long road, but I'll, I'll try to give you the abbreviated version. Uh, my background is in electronic engineering, um, but I also grew up in a, a farming community. Uh, so my grandfather was a, uh, gr a grower in African violets. He was the world's largest producer of African violets. And um, so we grew up right next to him, and so I was as a kid in charge of you know, opening up vents and things like that in his uh, greenhouses. So I've always had a little bit of um, farming and greenhouse growing in my blood. Um, I didn't think that was for me, so I went into the electronic engineering world instead. And uh, that's basically where I spent my professional career uh, doing IT uh, work. Um, so I have a, a strong engineering background, but also a love for um, growing So the two have uh, combined fairly well with uh, getting into the aquaponics world. And, you, I mean, you do aquaponics and you, you produce videos on it on YouTube. How did you get into aquaponics and what made you decide to start doing video content? Because as, as someone that does a lot of the sim similar stuff, I know that sometimes it takes more work to make the video than to do the thing that needs to be done. Like, when you get started, you're just like, well, I'm going to do this anyway, so I'll just video it. And then you realize, like, it, it really adds a lot. So what's made you not yeah. only do it, but stick to doing it? Because it's more work than people that don't do it think it is. It is definitely a labor of love. I mean, there's, uh, it, you know, I do get some little ad revenue from YouTube, but it definitely, uh, I'm not retiring on it, that's for sure. <laughs> Um, but, you know, I originally got into aquaponics um, almost by accident. I had set up a uh, one of those 10-by-12-foot Harbor Freight cheapo greenhouses. Um, I wanted to get some of my seedlings started uh, earlier in the season for my regular garden. And um, being in uh, the New England area, we get some fairly cold weather. So I wanted to um, create a thermal mass in that greenhouse to help regulate the temperature a little bit. So I had um, built a large tank of water in there, which actually worked fairly well. And uh, by the time spring rolled around, I started getting a whole bunch of mosquitoes breeding in it because it was just an open-top tank in there. Mm -hmm. And a friend of mine's like, oh, throw a couple goldfish in there. They'll take care of the mosquito. I was like, okay, that sounds good to me. <laughs> so I've got a couple of feeder fish from the pet store, threw them in there, and lo and behold, they did take care of the mosquito. Uh, but, of course wasn't thinking much about it. The water wasn't circulating at all, so it started getting really murky in there after a while. And I just started um, you know, perusing around on the Internet and came across a aquaponics forum about, uh, you know, I was looking to see how people were filtering water, and I just stumbled across an aquaponics forum. And uh, I was like, oh, that sounds pretty clever. That's sort of up my, my uh, sleeve for ways I like to tinker with stuff, and I put a grow bed uh, in the greenhouse, and it I could see the results with filtering the water fairly quickly, and the plants that I had growing 
uh, in that grow bed were actually growing better than the plants in my garden. So I was hmm. like, oh, somebody's on to something here. So let me you know, do some more. And I actually converted that entire uh, greenhouse um, into an aquaponics greenhouse. And, of course, with my electronic uh, engineering uh, background, I did a little bit of automation. And this is going back now 12 years, I guess. And um, there wasn't a whole lot with you know, Wi-Fi and the, the Internet of Things or any of that, but I had cobbled together a couple of uh, cool web-based um, controller things and uh, were able to monitor you know, temperature, and I could run my vents and turn on and off pumps and whatnot. And um, I did a little video about it. I, I only had one or two videos on YouTube, a couple things about some birds in the yard, and then I did uh, one about the greenhouse. And, you know, you can definitely tell it's a rookie video as I stumble my way through it and whatnot. Um, but somehow that video caught the attention of um, a reporter for the New York Times. They were looking to do an article about this up-and-coming technology of aquaponics. And um, they contacted me and wanted to come and take a couple pictures and do a quick interview. So I was like, yeah, sure, why not, whatever, it doesn't matter to me. And, um, you know, at that time I was getting, you know, it's one of those things I was getting five or 10 video uh, views a day on that, that video. So it wasn't anything. It was just more to, to show my friends stuff. Uh, so they came out and, um, they actually sent a professional photographer up from New York in the middle of a blizzard. It was sort of funny. He showed <laughs> up here and he took a bunch of photos of me. He spent about half a day taking pictures, which I thought was very overkill for a little article that's going to show up, you know, on the back pages of the New York Times somewhere. And uh, I had an interview. They did that. And about a month or so later, I didn't I didn't think anything about it. I thought the article had dropped at some point And, you know, I was like, whatever. I, I, I can't keep track of all these articles and stuff out there. A friend of mine called, and he's like, hey, you're on the front page of the New York Times. Holy I crap. Like, what? <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? He goes, yeah, the home and garden section. You know, that's a major section in the Times. It wasn't the front, front page, but it's, you know, how they have the many section sections. The front page, yeah. Yeah. And so I was like, what are you talking about? Why would I be on the front page? I, you know, and I was like, oh, yeah, the interview. And sure enough, there is this whole big article written about me and a couple other people um, that were starting to get into aquaponics. And that day, my video views on YouTube went from you know, a dozen, if I was lucky, to 8,000 a day. You know, just people, I was surprised how much influence the New York Times had on uh, something like this. And uh, that entire, something, it, it peaked, you know, it went up, up for a week or so and then started going back down. But that really got me a lot of subscribers uh, going into YouTube. And um, that entire summer, I had people contacting me. There are people showing up here unannounced just to say, "Hey, I want to look at your your greenhouse." Um, you know, let me pause, was... let me pause you right there for a second, Rob. Okay, guys in the audience listening, yeah, don't do that to people. <laughs> just to, <laughs> like I, I get people all the time that want to come by, and when I can accommodate, I co accommodate. But like just having people show up out of nowhere, like that's that's not cool. <clears throat> so I'm gonna to, yeah. to rob me or anyone else prearrange stuff. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, definitely have to. In fact, I'll give you a little side story. Um, 
I had one person, I was at work, and um, my wife calls, and this is at a time, um, we're, we live out in the boonies, and there really isn't much of a police force out here. We rely on our state police uh, for everything. So if there's a crime, it takes you know 20 minutes for the police to show up if, mm-hmm. if you're lucky. And so at that time, we were having a bunch of break-ins in the town, and so everybody's on high alert, you know. And um, I was at work, and my wife calls. She goes, there's somebody that keeps driving back and forth, you know, past our place. <laughs> and I was like, well, try to get the make and model of the car, and I'll call the police. And she's like, he's driving up the driveway. He's like just sitting halfway up the driveway. And so while she's on the phone with me, I'm on the phone with the state troopers. I was like, you need to get somebody out there because, you know, my wife is scared, and we don't need somebody out here. And so they, they actually showed up within like three or four minutes because they're on their way to another call in the area because somebody had reported some weirdness going on. And so they, um, they stopped the guy and, you know, he was a, a Chinese gentleman, didn't speak English very well. And come to find out, he had come out to see the greenhouse. He was from Minnesota and he was a, like a professor at a university. And decided to come out during his spring break to see the place. And he never contacted me. Uh. And so the police were like, well, you can't be here. You know, you need permission to come here. And so I was like, I was like, yeah, well, thank you for, you know, getting rid of this guy. But, you know, we don't need this happening. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it does. It does. Yeah. You know, we do give tours of our place and, you know. We haven't last year because, you know, with the COVID um, yeah. pandemic and everything going on. But, you know, people contact me. Um, we're usually more than happy to try to accommodate them to, to see our place. When it comes to your, uh, your your systems, what do you grow and what do you like to grow? What do you not like to grow? I, I get people a lot of times. I do a lot of aquaponics. I do some hydro. I do conventional <laughs> garden. Well, I guess I would say beyond organic gardening. Uh, and, and I, I get people, you know, what can you grow? And it's like, well, you can grow almost anything, but just because you can do something doesn't mean that it makes a lot of sense. I'm not going to grow corn in my aquaponic system. I could, right. but it, it doesn't make sense. So where, where do you fall on that? Yeah, I grow um, essentially what would, you know, I, I look at everything from a business standpoint um, when I'm trying to grow something, for the most part. Um, so I try to grow something that would produce revenue for the farm. So I target lettuce and tomatoes mostly, um, but that doesn't mean I stop at that. I mean, at last year I was experimenting with celery. I love growing strawberries. Um, they're one of my favorites, um, but they don't produce a cash crop for the entire season. I, I usually you know, grow a June-bearing strawberry, so just in the spring they produce, and then you have plants sitting there for the rest of the year not doing anything. Um, I've grown – I've had a banana – plant in uh, my dome greenhouse um, never produced anything but it was fun to grow you know you have people come to stop by and see this big palm tree type thing in your greenhouse it's definitely unorthodox to see something like that um, in Connecticut um, I also have you know a small lemon plant that I get lemons off of it once a year you know a couple dozen again doesn't really produce anything but for personal consumption it works great um, but it's you know it's mostly lettuce, cucumbers. I like to grow too. Uh, those do really well in the greenhouse. But you're right. Things like potatoes. I can grow potatoes in my media beds. They do okay. But why waste that space and energy on it when they grow just as well in the ground? 
Uh, same thing like with corn, what you mentioned, too. It's just not worth the aggravation to try to grow stuff like that. I have found some things that are not really conventional for aquaponics, but they do really well, and it makes it worth it. Like, you know, I usually do an ebb and flow bed every year that I grow ginger in, and I got yes. that from Rob Bob, and it was yep. like, that seems odd, but when I saw the amount, and then I, I'm with you, I'm on the, the business mindset, so even if I'm not selling it, what what is it worth to me? Ginger's freaking expensive. It's very expensive. You know? In fact, I, this year I have a... What are they called? A corm? I don't know what a ginger root is, um, but I actually have one that I just get it started because I do want to grow that in my uh, in my media bed this year. You know, I uh, I picked something up from uh, Curtis Stone as well on that. I don't remember the guy he was interviewing, but it was a guy that does greenhouse growing in Canada, and um, he does market gardening, pretty large scale. And you take the ginger and you put it in like just a like a shallow tray of soil. And you kind of force it, almost like you would be making slips for sweet potatoes. Right. But every time it sends up a shoot, you just kind of break that piece off and plant just that piece. And one chrome can make, you know, dozens and dozens of these shoots. And then you harvest it young before it fully skins over so it's like baby ginger. Yeah. You know, it's about like the size of half your hand. It's freaking delicious. And you use everything. You use the leaves. You use the stems like lemongrass. Yep. And I was like, that, and so I'm going to do that in the, because all I've done up till now is just throw a couple, a couple roots of ginger in and just let it go. Yeah. Uh, but I'm going to try that this year. I think that is really interesting. And then you're, you're not just in high dollar, you're also in like my other favorite thing to do is I want to grow stuff I can't buy. Right. Right. You can't buy baby ginger at, at Tom Thumb. It just, it's not there. I've looked. They don't have it. Yeah, that's right. It, I also um, like growing uh, some of the herbs, like um, oregano grows fantastic in the uh, ebb and flow beds. It, just, it grows like a weed. I actually have a hard time controlling it. Um, I also like growing uh, rosemary. I have a very large rosemary plant, and that actually works out well because I can harvest that essentially any time of the year. So if I have somebody that wants the rosemary, I can just go and pick a couple sprigs off of the, the plant and It doesn't affect anything. So you do um, have so, a revenue stream from product on your Yeah, product. I have a I'll, – I'll say it's a small revenue stream. Okay. Um, my large greenhouse isn't fully up and running uh, yet. I'm just too slow and <laughs> run into other life things to get it fully functioning. But I do um, – especially last year um, over the summer once the pandemic struck, um, I actually did quite well um, just harvesting my lettuce and some tomatoes and whatnot – putting them in a cooler out by the road with an honor pot right next to it. And um, on a weekend, I had no problem generating a couple hundred dollars um, in cash, just throwing my extra lettuce out by the road. Um, so that, that actually worked out really well. That That's pretty cool. Yeah, I yeah. mean, go ahead. I was going to say, and then what I did was, you know, since I just had a little sign that says, you know, lettuce, I left a little sign-up board so people could uh, put their name and email address, and now I have a you know, mailing list of a couple hundred people that I can email and say, hey, this week I'm going to have you know, celery ready or tomatoes ready. You know, Stop on by and pick them up. Man, I wish that I could take that one little soundbite and make it go into the brains of every small-scale producer out there. I've, <laughs> I've tried to teach that mindset. Like growing, you know, growing food is not that hard. Selling food especially perishable food in a time frame consistent with how long you have to move it. Yep. That's the challenge. And it's, 
It's really not that hard. What you just said is everything. You develop a customer base, and then you hit that customer base. I know a guy up your neck of the woods. He's in New Hampshire. Um, he sells microgreens mostly to restaurants, but he really does the same thing. Like He has all his chefs on a text, a mass text, and he says, I'm going to be in this area on Thursday. Here's what I have available. Text me your orders. Right. Yeah, and you know, my whole mindset, I'm not a big fan of uh, doing farmer's markets. It, mm -mm. I don't have a, a large enough uh, um, diversity in my product that I'm growing, um, so I don't want to have to sit at a farmer's market all day just trying to push lettuce. So uh, once I have the greenhouse fully up and running, my goal is to essentially you know, wholesale it to people that want to sell it at a farmer's market. There are a lot of people that are, quote, farmers at these farmer's markets yeah. that are just buying product from other farmers. Yeah. And, you know, it's easy for me to box up, um, you know, big, large boxes of lettuce and sell that entire thing than it is to, you know, if I had a retail storefront here and one person comes and buys one head of lettuce, they want to talk to you for 20 minutes to chat about the the world. Yeah. So, I don't have time for that. So No, not to sell a $5 head of lettuce. Right. Yeah, like exactly. I, I Yeah, I that turned me off of farmer's markets before I ever actually did one, just going to them. And I'd yeah. watch a guy work so hard to sell a guy a couple, three tomatoes, and it's like, yeah, I – Uh, you know, yeah. that's not that's not how it works at the grocery store. People don't walk in and go, can you tell me about these tomatoes? Right. And I'm glad they're interested, but, like, it's a tomato. I grew it in my greenhouse with aquaponics. Buy it or don't. Like, Yeah. I, I do know, you know, some people, um, when they're getting started just because they need to get some revenue going, they'll, they'll go to a farmer's market. Sure. Or they'll set up at a farmer's market. But what they do there is start making their contacts. So a lot of uh, chefs will go to farmer's markets and then – You know, you land that chef, and now you're selling them fresh produce directly to the restaurant instead of you know spending your time at a farmer's market. So, you know, it, it takes a little bit of work to to get your customer base up and running. I think. Yeah, yeah, I think effective marketing is a huge thing. Let's talk a little bit more about like, let's back into your professional background for a second. How did how did that really help you out? Because I know you've brought some technology into what you're doing. Yeah. The technology, it, it's funny. I'm, I'm always on the fence with the technology side. I love de dealing with technology, but there are some aspects with aquaponics where the uh, keep it simple, stupid uh, method is sometimes better. Uh, I see a lot of people, they'll try to you know, automate valves and all types of weird things with their aquaponics set up where it's like, Well, just turn on a pump and let it flow. And, you know, if you want to use a bell siphon, let that go or, you know, an ebb and flow. You don't, I'm not a big fan of putting timers on everything. And, you know, if you have a power failure, you sort of want that system to keep going more or less. You know, you don't want to kill all your fish and whatnot. Uh, so it, it's funny because I like the technology. I actually have uh, some very nice monitoring uh, set up running in my greenhouses, but it doesn't control it. Um, so it, It's sort of funny. I can I can tell if there's a problem in the greenhouse just by various sensors that are going. But um, if a sensor went offline, it doesn't hurt the system at gotcha. all. Gotcha. So it's you know there's a big difference between actually controlling and monitoring. Um, there are some things I do control in there just because it's easier than um, dealing with third party controllers like my vents in the greenhouse. Those are on a you know a homemade uh, control system because I didn't like what. You know, the vendors had for their control setups, or they're really expensive. Mm. Um, so, you know, it, it's sort of a, a weird area for me to, to deal with some of that. 
Um, from I think also with the engineering background, there's a lot of people that want to get into farming or have seen something like aquaponics online, and all of a sudden they're like, "This is this is how I can save the world, or I can feed the world this way, or I want to you know set up you know in my desert area, food desert in my city, get up and running." And I have people that contact me and haven't thought through the whole process or haven't come up with a business model on what they need to do. And they're like, oh, well, you already rented space in an old warehouse. We want to set up an aquaponics setup. Oh. It's like, well, have you dealt, you know, how many pounds per square foot are you, have you calculated for your grow beds? Oh, no, we don't have to worry about that. I was like, well, what do you do if you have a water spill? What about all the tenants beneath you? Yeah. Like, oh, well, we didn't think about that either. What about uh, your electric bill since you're doing this indoors and you're going to have yeah. to run all the lighting now? <laughs> exactly. It's like, so, you know, anybody that comes to me and says, hey, I want to get into aquaponics, usually the first thing I tell them is make do a little home system. Yeah. Make sure you understand the biology behind it all. And, you know, you're going to, you know, can you handle killing or harvesting fish? You know, if you, if you can't handle, you know, some people are like, oh, I don't want to hurt my fish. Well, if you have a sick fish or something, you either you need to dispatch it or try to heal it, and it's usually easier to dispatch it and cheaper to do that than yeah. bring it to a vet or whatever. I, I, <laughs> so. I've taken a lot of animals to a vet. I've never taken a fish to a vet, yeah. and I don't ever think I will. <laughs> I yeah. I don't know. If I get into some kind of rare aquarium keeping and I've got like a $1,000 fish, I might take that to a vet, yeah. but I'm not taking a comet goldfish to the vet or a tilapia <laughs> or a bluegill or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely not. So usually that's why I was like, make sure you understand what's involved with, you know, taking care of plants and animals and bug control and, you know, how much light do you need? And, and then the, even more importantly is if they aren't willing to take the time to write up a business plan, even a spreadsheet to do a calculation mm. on, you know, how much are they going to produce and, and whatnot, I tell them, don't waste your time. Don't don't waste my time trying to explain to you things that if you're not willing to put the effort into the business side of it, don't bother. You know, aquaponics is great. I enjoy doing it. Is it profitable? Yeah, it, it can be if you work it right. Is doing hydroponics profitable? Probably better yep. at it just because yep. you can buy your solutions and not have to deal with a lot of the chemical stuff. Um, but the aquaponics is also a good marketing standpoint too, where you, you know some people can sell their fish, or they can say I'm growing more naturally uh, with the aquaponics uh, systems. Um, so you know it's all part of that plan is marketing, the business solution, how much money you're going to make. You know, do you have to hire people once you get to a certain size? What do you do during off season? You know, all that. Those are all questions that should be you should be asking yourself before you want to start. Any business, not just aquaponics, but doing anything. You know, I agree, and there's a place for different tech. So, like, I definitely prefer aquaponics to hydro because hydro is going to rely on some synthetics. However, yep. like, I have taken the time to do all of these things so I can talk about them on the air without, like, pulling it out of my rear end and actually <laughs> know what I'm talking about. So, like, I played with, with hydro a lot last year. I had really great results with it. And I built, like, this little indoor vertical farm for people that wanted to do that, especially really northern climates. They want to grow fast vegetables through the winter indoors. To me, it's much better to do hydro because you can rely on a much smaller reservoir. You have a lot more control. It's one less thing to die. The only thing you can kill is your yep. plants. And 
I'm redesigning that system using the, the flood trays and all I have in it to basically build nothing but plant starting. And I can start you know thousands of plants in a little 4 by 2 footprint with it on multiple levels. And that's going out in my rear shop. Well, after I just had two degrees below zero weather in North Texas last week, by the way, it's like 80 today. I was um, going to say, it must be nice. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, that's one more system with fish in it. It's indoors. It's going to be a system, basically, I want to use it in the, this time of year for starts when it's easier to do indoors than outdoors. And I want to shut it off. Well, right. if it's got fish in it, <laughs> net fish, move fish, whatever, if it's a hydro system, when I'm done with it for the year, I just drain it and shut it off. Yes. And so I think you need to adapt the technology to the need rather than embrace the technology due to ideology. I th as much as I want to do good things for the planet, there's a place I think where ideology gets in the way, and that's where you end up with somebody spending $5,000 a month to lease a warehouse like you're talking about, and they don't know the first thing about how to put together an aquaponic system, and they think they're going to make money. Yeah. And yeah. that ideology gets in the way of reality really quick. I think Excel, like... I've said before, like the fact that we have children that we spend all this property tax money to send to school and they come out of high school and they don't know how to do an estimate or a takeoff in Excel is criminal because that is one of the most valuable life skills you can give a person. I don't care if they're going to be an entrepreneur or they're going to work in a company where they're going to have to submit proposals. Like, how do you do that without Excel? I know how you do because I did it in the, in the early 90s, my, you know, manually. It sucks. Like, you learn yeah. Excel, and you, the world opens to things like that. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, high school should be teaching, you know, you know, when I was in high school long ago, we did have a home ec class, so we learned how mm -hmm. to, you know, sew a button on a shirt and, you know. Darn you know, a sock. Yeah, you know, fry an egg. egg if we had yeah. to. So, you know, I, I, I took that just sort of as a joke class, but I actually learned some valuable things in there. And, you know, the, part of that home ec class was also balancing a checkbook. You know, they don't do stuff like that no. anymore. No, I, fact, I, I'll be honest. I took home ec because it was like a nine-to-one girl-to-boy ratio. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you're right. <laughs> it's like uh, only girls take that. Yeah. yeah and, <laughs> and even in college, it's, you know, the same way. Um, when I was in school, you know, I was in an engineering school, but I had some you know, core classes I was required to take. But those core classes, now I don't want to knock the, the industry, but it's like I, I didn't see much of a need to have to take you know, child psychology or sociology or no. some of these other ology classes where maybe they sh instead of that, they should have offered you know, something in business finance, just some Yep. Rudimentary business classes, yep. um, I think, would be important for people. You know, business even as an law. engineer, even business law gives you like a framework so that you don't get screwed by your own attorneys. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it'd be nice to get more, you know, into some of that and not have to, you know, deal with some of the other uh, types of classes. But you know, yeah. I don't make up those rules. But I, you're free to my... knock the education sector all you <laughs> want here. That's a, that's a pastime at TSP. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, even when my kids were growing up, I made sure before they got their uh, licenses, you know, they're both girls, um, I made sure they knew how to change a tire on their car. Sure. Like, You're not going to get stuck somewhere. I want, you know, I showed them how to do it, how to pull it out of the trunk and, you know, where to put the jacks and whatnot. And, but before they got their licenses, they could change a tire in the car. So, you know, I, I thought that was an important life skill that, you know, a teenager needs to learn. God bless you for it, because we sure need more people doing that. I, I did the same thing with my son, and as my grandkids get older, I'll, I'll do the same thing with them. 
Um, we kind of touched on the YouTube thing already, but what do you think makes a good YouTube video? Obviously, you've been successful. You've built up like close to 100,000 subscribers or something like that. So like, what makes a YouTube video a good video today? You know, that's the, the, the problem I have with YouTube is that a lot of the uh, channels on there, they're just junk channels. You know, they're, they try to get reactions out of people or, you know, some of the comedy stuff. It's just not great. I, I'm more into watching, if I watch YouTube channels, I'll watch more educational stuff. Um, um, but anyway, I like, I always tell people you need to at least tell us some type of a story in your channel. Um, I see a lot of YouTube, you know, I'll just, you know, point out right in aquaponics where somebody says, here's an aquaponics system. They're walking around their beds with a shaky, you know, iPhone and they're just going around and saying, here it is. And they're rustling through their plants and, you know, nine tenths of that video could have been cropped out because you don't need to watch, you know, some of that stuff or the, the audio is terrible. So, you know, I try to make some type of an effort to provide some quality content. Um, you know, every story needs a you know beginning, middle and an end. So I will usually introduce myself quickly and at the beginning of every video saying what we're going to work on, you know, tell my thing. And at the end say, yep, Here's what I did. You know, thanks for watching and have a nice day. Um, so you, I gotta, you got, you have to be able to wrap it up and not just throw a bunch of junk at people. What they don't may not understand what you're doing. You know, if I say something that's technical or even say, you know, it's 70 degrees in here, I'll take the effort just to pop up a little thing on the screen saying, you know, 70 degrees equals whatever it is uh, Celsius. Mm -hmm. um, um, just so, because that deals with all of our international friends, where the rest of the world's on the metric system. So, you know, I don't, I don't want to be this arrogant American that says, "Oh, I'm only going to show you everything in imperial standards." Um, so, you know, you have to, yeah, sort of have to think like the viewer on what they may want to see. Um, and I'll just you know, say I appreciate that when I'm watching something from like somebody in Australia or something and they, you know, let's say it's 20 mils and then they convert it. Like, yeah, I appreciate that, that because I'm not going to, you know, I understand what a centimeter is, but when you get into things that are more than a couple inches, like I'm not doing the conversion in my head and you kind of glass over and go, well, what is that in real numbers? And yeah, And so I, if I appreciate it when they do it, I'm sure they appreciate it when we do it back. Yeah, and I get comments every once in a while. They're like, thanks for the conversion. So, you know, you get one comment out of hundreds of thousands of views. It actually is a fairly high percentage. You know, if you work through the numbers that, you know, more people do appreciate that. They just don't comment on it. Uh, so, you know, you, you got to make sure that the video can try not to get it too boring. A lot of my videos, you know, I'll... Like my last video, some of my last videos, I purposely up front said, these are going to be boring, boring videos. I'm going way into depth on some of the engineering aspects of this project. And so I, I let people know up front. I try not to rope them. You know, you get the, the clickbait videos. I can't stand that. It's like mm. I put a video title and it's like I'm building these, you know, hydroponic grow beds today. You know, that's what we're going to watch today. You know, I'm not going to say. These hydroponic grids are the best. Find out why today. You know, I don't, I don't play that game. So maybe it hurts my channel. You know, trying to get more views, but um, to me, it's not worth, um, you know, compromising on the quality of the video. 
So you also have some stuff going on, like some side projects with aquaponics and greenhouses. Like you're doing a rocket mass heater, mm -hmm. a solar installation. Is that just for content? Is it just side project or is it like really useful for your farm? It is some of each. Okay. Um, you know, the, <laughs> the, uh, the dome greenhouse, that was my second greenhouse after I did the Harbor Freight one. I, I built the dome and my goal on that and you know this is sort of a shame on me for not maybe not researching as much as I should have is I wanted that dome greenhouse to be essentially a self-sufficient greenhouse where I didn't have to, to buy electricity or pay for propane heat or oil heat um, in New England we use fuel oil for our heating some people do propane but um, so the goal was just to have that building sitting there and allow it to run uh, throughout the winter um, with little with external without any external inputs um, so I put solar panels on there it's a three kilovolt system um, I grossly underestimated the amount of power that I was going to need during the winter um, and even that three kilovolts um, when it's you know in the middle of winter or middle of December we can get a couple weeks of overcast clouds and the batteries on that thing just there was nothing left to them so you know I had to run power to the greenhouse to keep things running Uh, the rocket mass heater that worked really well. Um, that was sort of a, I guess, an up and coming technology. You know, it's been around for a while, but it was really starting to get some attention. And I, I really like that premise of um, being able to burn wood um, and get basically, you know, clean exhaust out of it. You know, I grew up in a house. My father, we had a indoor um, wood burner. And, you know, we had to clean out the chimney every couple of weeks because of all the creosote buildup. And that was just energy, you know, going up the chimney and, you know, seeing that rocket mass heater running and no, no smoke coming out of the thing. And it just was this inferno. And I would burn just a fraction of the amount of wood than what a regular wood stove would do. I mean, it was a sort of a game changer with uh, heating the uh, greenhouse. However, The downside of it is um, usually a, a rocket mass heater is needs to keep getting fed. And so if you have a, a setup like uh, in a house with a rocket mass heater, you usually burn it, you heat up the, your area, the mass is heated up, and it keeps uh, sending out heat for a while. So with, with a rocket mass heater, you basically have to keep uh, feeding it uh, in the greenhouse because – It's such an inefficient space with you know, all the polycarbonate. It's not like you have a building that has a, an R25 or R30 value. The, the greenhouse has a, you know, R1.8 value. And so the rocket mass heater, it produces a lot of heat, but if you let it go out, the greenhouse cools off really quickly. Um, so I, I like the premise of it, but it was very difficult to um, use it to, to the heat of space like that. Have you thought about pushing that through like a large thermal mass so that you have that residual ongoing warmth. Yes. In fact, that is probably the number one question I get on uh, my greenhouse videos. And they're like, how come you didn't with the new, especially the newest greenhouse, you know, yeah. how come you didn't put in a thermal mass and dig tunnels? Um, I did put a thermal mass under the dome greenhouse when I originally built it. You know, it was just an airflow uh, type system And the issue that I have with that is that when you blow the air underneath the ground, it does come out warmer or cooler in the summer. However, 
the air is so humid from in the greenhouse, all the water condenses in the piping underneath mm. the floor, and then it mildews, and then you blow the mildew back into the greenhouse. Um, so um, in our area, the ground is fairly wet most of the time, so it doesn't even give the, the chance to get the system to dry out. So for a setup like ours, we would then have to put in an air exchanger. And, of course, now you're spending a lot of money on you know, extra energy to deal with you know, air exchangers and you know, heat condensers and whatever else. Um, so it, it can become very expensive uh, to have to try to use the earth as your thermal mass. I'm not saying it's impossible. It just it gets more and more complicated as you try to do it the right way. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, so now you've worked with a couple different greenhouses. Do you kind of have a favorite type of greenhouse? Yeah, and I, I don't have that type. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so in our area, um, most people usually just build a traditional hoop house, or it's more the derivative of that is the Gothic arch style, just so uh, we can shed the snow um, off the roof line a little bit better. Uh, the main reason being is that it's they're cheap to build, you know, just a bunch of hoops, throw some plastic over it, and away you go. Typically, because of the heating costs in in this area, um, most places will shut down their greenhouses over the winter, so they just don't have to heat it. Um, so, if you build a um, an, a real frame greenhouse that has a foundation and big steel infrastructure to it and polycarbonate. Um, it gets very expensive to build those, and the heating benefit is minimal compared to just a, a traditional a hoop house. So it's um, difficult to come up with a, a reason to build a more traditional-style greenhouse. I really do like the um, – they call them a Chinese-style greenhouse, where essentially um, instead of a traditional greenhouse, which normally run uh, north to south – the greenhouse, uh, the Chinese greenhouses run east to west, and then their northern wall is used either a really thick, well-insulated wall or, you know, bermed into the ground. So it's sort of a, uh, a have that thermal mass behind it. And those are uh, very effective um, and obviously used well a lot in Chinese. I have a Chinese friend that has several greenhouses like that, and he loves them. Um, but... For me, it wasn't economical to, to build that style of greenhouse. Um, I would have to truck in a lot of material to, you know, get a big thermal mass on a, you know, 150 foot long northern wall on a greenhouse. It's mm-hmm. that's a lot of material to move, um, or you know, make a two foot thick wall that's filled with insulation. Um, so you have a well insulated wall, but there's no thermal mass behind it. Um, so they're they're fantastic greenhouses. They they, they can drape uh, curtains over them, uh, like a quilted curtain to during the nighttime to help insulate it better. Uh, they're pretty cool. But um, for me, from a business stance, if I wanted to get something up and running, um, this standard greenhouse worked great. I mean, I bought this one used. It's a 30-year-old greenhouse. I uh, bought a whole bunch of uh, um, solar wrap is the covering that I use on it. It looks like big bubble wrap, mm-hmm. very, uh, very resilient to puncturing. And um, with all the site work, the greenhouse and the plastic covering, I had a, a 3,500 square foot greenhouse built. Um, I, I put it up myself. Um, it was under $50,000 to do the entire thing. If I was going to build a real frame greenhouse, you know, the foundation alone um, 
would probably cost you know twenty or thirty thousand dollars for a foundation to, to put a building that size on it. I start building houses, let alone <laughs> greenhouses, when you start getting that kind of money. And I think a lot of stuff like that's a good idea is a good idea if, like, yeah, yeah. if your always place is. makes sense. Like, so people always tell me, "Have you seen a wallapini? It's an underground greenhouse. You should build one." Okay, well, first send me some money, um, yeah. right? But no, okay, so where I live. My property will vary between about two inches to right under a foot of soil, and then it's rock. And I don't mm -hmm. mean chunks of rock. I mean an ancient seabed of limestone slab. There's no dirt below there. You got chunk, and then you got a solid sarcophagus-looking slab. And so, yes, I could do an earth-sheltered back, but like you say, okay, so then I need, you know, 150 cubic yards of, of soil brought in from somewhere. If right. you live a place with deep soils, you have some natural contours in your land, and, gee, that back wall is formed just by renting a front loader and pushing dirt back? Yeah. Brilliant! It's yeah. free, right? Like, even if I rent the machine for 500 bucks for a week, I consider that free. It's a free wall. But yes. do you have the contour and the earth to work with? If you do, great. If you don't, then... I think you're back to where people get attached to an ideology rather than a practicality. Right. I'm, I'm a very practical person. So, I mean, and that's that's one of the downfalls of having the YouTube channel. I mean, I, I like having the channel where I can educate people and, and whatnot. But people that I get comments like that, they're like, you should have built this style of greenhouse. It's so much better. Yeah. Well, maybe for you it is, but for me it's not. I'm sorry. Yeah, I get, you know, you should, use, you should have two GoPros and edit it all together so that we – You know what? Yeah. Here's my address. You can send me a couple of GoPros and a guy to edit. Like I have other things to do. I don't have all day to sit around editing, you know, videos. Videos for you are like pretty much your content. Like videos for me are like adjunctive content. And people they get like that and they also say things like and I don't know about you, but my experience has been nine probably more like ninety eight times out of a hundred than nine out of ten. Uh, right. The person that tells yeah, you yeah. what a dumbass you are and why you did everything <laughs> wrong and whatever, when you click on their name and go see, well, let's see what they're doing, because maybe, oh, do. maybe they <laughs> do, do know, right? And yeah, it, inevitably, this channel has no content, yeah. right? Like the people that do that never have anything. They have no practical experience. They watched another video five minutes before yours, and you're a dumbass because this other guy, you know, is growing oranges in Nebraska. Yeah. Well, he's growing oranges in Nebraska because he has, he can dig a hole 100 feet deep if he yeah, wants yeah, to, right? <laughs> I'd say congratulations to him for doing that. I, I know who you're talking about. You know, that's yeah, a cool it's awesome. Up there, but, but, but it would, it it's would, not for me. <laughs> I would have to strip soil from everybody around me to do that here. I don't, and then he's got geothermal. I think geothermal is a great idea. Even, you know, not going like traditional geothermal, just the way they do it with greenhouses where you do like two layers and you're six feet deep in the yeah. deepest. You push the air in from the top to bottom. Like, oh, that all works. It works beautifully. Not if yeah. you can't dig a hole. Yeah. Right. If you and can't dig a hole, you can't dig a hole. <laughs> just like you, it's the same problem we have here. You, know, you just have probably actually, granite instead of limestone, yeah. right? I was yeah. going to say, we're all granite instead of limestone and the, the height varies. So you don't even know what you're going to get if you start digging. It could be an inch down. It could be four feet or you might not even find any. Yeah. Plus, then we have a high water table. So, again, mm -hmm. geothermal, especially if you're doing air, you got to dig all that material out, blast it, 
I'm not blasting it. No. Or what most people do around here if they want a geothermal for their house is they'll have wells drilled. Yeah. But yeah. then you're back table, into expense again. Now, oh, yeah. You know. I mean, I, I had a well drilled um, last year uh, for the greenhouse, and, you know, it was a $10,000 expense to go down, you know, 400 feet. Yeah. 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 Everybody knows, but there are always the people that didn't do. It's, yeah, it's yeah. funny. They're all armchair experts. That's yeah. what I call them. <laughs> for for someone that is starting out with aquaponics or growing, what do you recommend they kind of do first if they want to kind of get into this world a little bit? Yeah, definitely uh, start small. Um, if you can grow outside, you know, try to grow in the environment where you think you're planning on growing. So if you wanted to do a warehouse greenhouse, s- set up a system in your closet or in your basement or if, if you know wherever you have space that essentially needs all that artificial lighting and you know. Even put a, a, a voltmeter on that thing so you know how much power that those lights and pumps are consuming, and then you know multiply it out that way. Um, but if you're, you know, I get people contact me. I want to do aquaponics. I've I've never farmed before. I've never grown anything. What do I need to do? Grow something first. You know, yeah. it's <laughs> it's like come on, guys. You know, again, it's that ideology where they're, you know, they're, you know. Current profession has nothing to do with you know farming at all or running a business. You know, you you need to you know take a class in it. I mean, there's a bunch of different classes that are available from aquaponics that at least you could learn something with it um, or try it yourself. I'm a big fan of trying it yourself and you know researching it. And you know, there's nothing better than a little bit of you know homegrown education where you just figure it out yourself. So I'm like. You know, you gotta, gotta research it. Don't just jump into this thing without, you know, especially, you know, people are like, I'm gonna take my, you know, 401k and take that out and, you know, invest in this greenhouse setup. No, you, I don't think you should. (laughs) No. And the one thing I would caution with, with, you know, start small, I think it's a great idea, but like, there is too small. Like, I see these kits that, like, you you install your own 10-gallon aquarium, and, you know, then you have this thing, and you're going to grow all your herbs in your kitchen or whatever. And I have a friend that actually bought one of those, and he said it worked rather well. But I will tell you, and I know you know this, when you're managing fish, the smaller the ecosystem, the faster things go south when you lose balance, (laughs) right? Absolutely true. So running an indoor uh, aquaponics system that you self-build, from like a $200 aquarium kit from Walmart, and uh, I, I have like in my office, I have a I have two 55-gallon stack like that. Well, that top could be grow beds that could be built out of $20 um, concrete mixing trays from from Home Depot or Lowe's, right? right. Uh, and, and 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 all in, you could have that set up for 250 bucks, and it would grow a significant. I mean, you're talking about a significant. Um, total area of grow space using something like that. You could float in the lower tank and ebb and flow on the mm-hmm. top, and you could grow You can grow enough food to at least provide all your salads for a family. You, you really right. can. If you try to do that on a smaller scale, things just tend to, to get wrecked a, a lot quicker. I, I've helped a lot of people build stuff using um, 50-gallon Rubbermaid tubs, like two of those, and a 300-gallon Rubbermaid tub or a 100-gallon yeah. Rubbermaid tub. Is a, is a, and it's, it's a little more expensive that way, but it's if, if you decide you hate it, you can take those tubs and put them on Craigslist and get half your money back like yeah, that exactly. fast, right? It'll never break like they're made to not break. The you know the big the, the 300s and the 100s already have bulkheads in them. Like There's so much already there. You just throw some 2x4s on them and stack them. 
And yep. so to me, like, that's an easier on-ramp than maybe cutting up IBCs. You know, yeah. we learned about IBCs. Like, we did have a place we could bury one. We, we started burying it, the, the sump. And, whoa, 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 maybe we should fill it before we bury it. <laughs> like, and then yeah. you think, so what happens if it, if it gets drained? Like, is it going to collapse? Well, maybe. You don't know. Oh, yeah. They, they turn know? into a submarine and they float up to the surface. <laughs> I've seen people's systems get wrecked because, you know, they drained out their sump and yeah. the groundwater just pushed it right out of the ground. Oh, yeah. Groundwater so, again. I'm, I'm not a big fan of uh, putting sumps in systems. I, I did it in the dome greenhouse and it worked, but the my newest greenhouse, the big one, nothing is underground with that one. It's all above ground where I can work on it and get to whatever I need to get to. You know, the only thing with that is it does lower... The system height, so it lowers your grow beds. That's that's the beauty yeah. of it. But yeah. yeah, I didn't think about it floating up. We don't have a groundwater problem here either. But yeah, that's a that's an interesting thing. And and, yeah. and you know, that's there's so many ways to do this. And I agree with you. Just kind of pick one and give it a shot. But do it for yourself. And then if yeah. you learn enough, and then you want to try to monetize it, go ahead. And I think that, like you mentioned, having customers on an email list, that's a great way. Uh, maybe getting started with a farmer's market. I'm not going to do it, but I can, I can understand your case for why people do. You know, you, you f form that base of customers. But I think another well underutilized channel is like food co-ops and things like that, where you have a person who just goes around and picks up food from producers and delivers it. When we were, you know, we scaled back our duck eggs, but at one time we were running 200 ducks on our property and we were producing mm. uh, 25 dozen eggs a week at least. And uh, once we we got into a restaurant, but then that went away because they changed their menu. Um, but once we got one person that did that, we we couldn't we could never produce enough to meet demand. So then all we had to do was take care of the ducks and pick up eggs. Right. And I think that there's a place for trying to figure out how to whether it's like you said with a wholesale thing or with and that's basically what we were doing. We're just doing a different distribution style. Like being able to focus on what you do and and then let it go on its own is great. Just be careful of being overly vested because like we got really overly vested in this one restaurant. They they bought twenty dozen a week every week for seven months. You hmm. know, and we, we ramped up production to get through our, our down because you get down periods with egg laying and all. And we did everything we, we could to keep them happy. And then they just decided, you know, um, Your price is a bit high with delivery and all, and you know, and it's like, what you're selling twenty dozen of this dish, <laughs> right? For for sixteen bucks, charge seventeen. Nobody yeah. is going to not order that, right? Like, yeah. and this was before COVID, so it had nothing to do with that. Like, no one is going to be like, you know what? I was going to order this, but it's a dollar more. When you eat in a restaurant like that, you don't make decisions over a dollar. But restaurants don't see it that way, so be careful how much you invest in any one channel. I guess. Yeah, that's uh. It's absolutely true. It's uh, I was getting ready to start selling. We have one restaurant in our town, and I was starting to ramp up some lettuce production for them. And when COVID hit, he's like, "Nope, I'm not going to stay in business." So he he actually shut down. So I lost that. Uh, it, it wasn't even a customer yet, but luckily I hadn't uh, you know banked on him uh, staying in business either. So it's yeah, diversifying your uh, revenue stream is always a great idea. That's one thing I love about aquaponics, though, is it is rather modular. So as you increase your market, you can kind of just add more beds to a point. There is a point where, like, your beds exceed yes. the capacity of your reservoir. But in general, it's pretty easy, like, to just expand by a third 
at least the first or second time, and then your investment's minimal at that point, right? I yeah. Mean, yeah. Grow beds are fairly fairly cheap to install, so it's you know bed liner and away you go. It's not yeah. much to it. It's a box. <laughs> yeah, it's a box. You know, it's the rafts that get you unless yeah. you make your own. They're fairly that can be fairly cheap, but uh, you know, yeah, it's the build out on that part of it's cheap, so that that does work out quite well. So, what are your long term plans for your farm? Uh, well, I got to get this uh, my latest greenhouse really fully functioning. Um, I do more. Ex- problem is, I do more experiments um, with it than I really should be doing. Instead of focusing on actually growing, I guess that's the engineer in me. Yeah. Um, but I really want to get that up and running. Um, our site, we had a plan drawn out to do three uh, full greenhouses, so it's enough to to essentially employ me uh, full time. So. Down the road, um, I really want to get out of uh, you know, the real corporate world that I'm in and move on to just uh, retiring into being a farmer at some point. Uh, so, you know, that's the ultimate goal is just to rely on the farm for my my main revenue stream. I'm or as sure. my wife likes to call it, the expensive hobby. The expensive <laughs> hobby. Um, I know you, you, you do really well on YouTube. Um, if I could give you a suggestion, if you've, I don't know if you've heard about this, this company. There's a company called Library Slash Odyssey, mm-hmm. and they're basically a blockchain version of YouTube so that you can upload your videos there and all. Oh, yes. Yeah, I have heard of that. If you set up an account there and link it to your YouTube account, they will automatically import your most recent 900 videos and every video you put on YouTube forever after that, unless you turn it off, will just within like five minutes after you upload it, it will just end up over there. And that way, like all that content is backed up if something goes sideways with YouTube at some point, because I don't know who gets offended over what, but it happens. And oh, then you it have definitely happens. you have another audience. You have also another revenue stream. I don't have anywhere yes. near your um, your your subscriber base on YouTube. I'm about fifty thousand ish on my YouTube. I have about mm-hmm. 5000 on Odyssey. I make more money a month in cryptocurrency on Odyssey with 10% of the subscribers. Hmm. I definitely have to look. At, I've seen other people doing it, and I was like, eh, I don't have time to play with that. It's so. five minutes. It's fill yeah. out a form and click import, and then you're there. Oh, I'll, I'll definitely check that out. Though. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's, it's too easy. Like I was the same way. Like I don't have time. Like I'm definitely not going through and re-uploading yeah. a thousand videos, right? But I'm like. Oh, you can click a button? Yeah, yeah, I can click a button. Like, I... <laughs> I, I, I yeah, I, I just ran into the problem. I'm still... I've been two weeks into it with uh, Amazon. I uh, mm. sell our Grow Grip product uh, through them. They're the little plugs that use to hold uh, plants. Yeah. And something I developed, you know, five years ago. So I've been selling them through Amazon for five years. Without notification, they pulled the entire product line uh, because they somehow determined that they were classified as a pesticide, even though they have nothing to do with uh. pesticides or anything like that. And they're like, you have to provide EPA documentation stating that these are not a pesticide. I was like, you're looking at the picture, you know, you can't determine that it's it's a Well, and good clip. luck with that, like to get the EPA to do anything. Like you yeah. can get somebody on the phone and be like, no, it's totally not a pesticide. Can you send me a letter or an email that says no, no, because they yeah. won't. They won't take that liability. Yeah. So and so Amazon, you write to them. I opened up a ticket. 
you know, you get the typical response. We'll respond within five to seven days. And so I write up, I was like, you need to reinstate this. It's not that. And they're like, we've, de- we've reviewed your product and we have determined that it is a pesticide. And that, that was the end wow. of it. So now I have no revenue stream from Amazon. I have people saying, yeah. where are the grow grips? So they have to go to some of my other, you know, smaller resellers. Yeah. And so I'm still fighting with that. And they're like, well, just relist it and change the description. So, cause I, I put, I did put in there that it was, uh, mildew resistant because okay. it, it's plastic. Yeah. And they said, that's the key word. I was like, all right, so edit out the key word. I, they won't let me edit my own listing now. And they're like, just relist it. I was like, well, if I relist it, I don't have any of my past uh, reviews anymore. So that's what people rely on to say if it's a good product or not. It's, you know, it's almost a five-star review, and i got to start over again. Yeah. Yeah, so, this is why don't, I don't, don't like – the beginning. That's why I don't like giant platforms. Yeah, so it's horrible. are these – do you – Do you sell through the aquaponics source? Am I looking at your product right now? There's kind I of do. like a yes, green and it's kind of like rectangular yep. with four corners. Those are the products? Yep, yep uh, that's it. Do you only grips. sell through retailers or do you take that direct? Or um, I do have a direct website too. You can go to BigelowBrook.com. Okay, so it's on your main site. Yeah, I'll make yeah, sure that all site. your social media and, and, then, and that are in the show notes today. Because people might really want to check these Great. out. They're not expensive. I mean, I don't know how the hell that's a no, pesticide. I, <laughs> exactly. I, tell people what they do. You tell me. I don't, I, I don't get it. You know, it's no different than any other clip that holds a tomato plant on a string or anything like that. It's yeah. just, I, I don't understand it. Tell people. Yeah, so I have a couple of resellers. Um, in Texas um, is um, True Aquaponics. Um, they also sell the, sell the grow grips, too. And, you know, it's funny because, you know, my personal resale, and I personally know all the people that, you know, run these companies, too, and they, they support the product substantially better than uh, Amazon does, too. So it's it's unfortunately that so many people rely on Amazon versus the, the smaller resellers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I sell through Amazon as an affiliate, and I always worry one day that revenue will go away, so I try not to depend on it. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's nice money to have, but... Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Anyway, back to where this all started, Odyssey, because you know you're yes. talking about uh, Google's another giant platform, and they they have nuked people for a tweet they made 12 years ago that has nothing to do with their YouTube channel. So always yes. back yep. back. You're an engineer, right? Two is one, one is none, man. That's yeah, <laughs> yeah. And you know, I've gotten a couple of dings on my channel for they pulled they they demonetized one of my videos about growing tomatoes because. I have no idea. Oh, they okay. said that there's something in there that they they don't tell you what the problem is. They're like this this video has been demonetized. And it's about growing tomatoes. Yeah, I got a copyright strike for re-uploading one of my own videos. Yeah, that can happen too. <laughs> yeah, you have violated copyright. This is not your video. Actually, it is yeah. my video. And yeah. the, the place I violated the copyright was my own channel from six years ago. I just downloaded yeah, it and, and re-uploaded you, it. Yeah, like, ugh. Yeah, and tried to dispute. I mean, I've had to dispute. I've had people that have copied my videos and reposted it. And YouTube actually has a fairly good system in place if you want to um, put a claim against somebody else's video. But you know, somebody it can be very damaging too because somebody doesn't like me. They could try putting claims against yep my videos, and they get put on hold until it's guilty resolved. Till pro- guilty till proven innocent, man. So definitely yeah. is. So hopefully, very difficult. You can. Uh... You can get that set up. I'll, I'll shoot you a link for signing up for that so I can get my crappy little eight coins. 
Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll just pop Perfect. that over on Skype when we wrap up. Let's give you an opportunity here, though. Tell people about your website and and the stuff they can get from you, learn from you, etc. All right. So my website's uh, BigelowBrook.com, and um, there is a little store on there where we we sell the grow grips, and that's something that I designed several years ago and did a Kickstarter campaign for that and uh, got some revenue to have the molds made up and whatnot. And uh, that's that product is what we use to actually help keep the farm running. Um, it generates enough revenue that helps pay for our property taxes and some of the other expenses that uh, we have to deal with with uh, running the farm. Um, also, I have some um, 3D printed products that I sell, some bell siphons, which are uh, surprisingly popular. I just sort of threw it on there as a little joke, but I sell a lot of those for some reason. Um, people's just like uh, buying a pre-made bell siphon. And um, also, of course, my YouTube channel is uh, youtube.com slash Brook. And last I checked, I'm just shy of 95,000 subscribers. Uh, I could always uh, use about 5,000 more. I'd love to hit that 100,000 mark. Uh, but that channel mostly focuses on uh, the aquaponics and you know the farm build-out with the greenhouse and uh, some of my other uh, projects. Well, I can tell you why people buy the, the bell siphons, the 3D-printed ones, because they have that cutoff that keeps them from sticking. Yeah, it works great. Too. Yeah, and they're, they're awesome. Um, Richard Hastings taught at one of my courses down here, and he had one of them. I'm not sure if he got it from you or where. Yes, he but did. Yep, it, I know him. <laughs> it was awesome, and I, I love it. I, I, I remember, though, I did shoot you an email with one of my videos on you. I know you just said you're not exactly thrilled with timers, but, I mean, if power's out, power's out. Um, yeah. But I went to like a timed ebb and flow, and it has limits because when you're running like one pump and you're running multiple ebb and flow beds, they almost never all trigger and fill evenly. They kind of spread out. So when you're using a single pump dedicated to ebb and flow, if you have enough bed, you can really drain your reservoir, your sump. Right. But as long as you're not in that that world, I mean, I started doing it about a year ago, and unless I need to do a siphon. That's what I'm yeah. doing from now on because it it never breaks and it's an $8 timer and what I hate about timers is okay, the power goes off, power comes back on. Blinking 12 o'clock, right? Since it's a mechanical yeah. <laughs> timer, you you just basically knock down one every hour. So that's 15 minutes on, 45 off. You knock the pegs down. If it goes off when it comes back on, it doesn't matter what time it's set to. It just it just goes yeah. again. Just keeps on uh, keeps on trucking, and that is one of the nice things about uh, you know doing that. And that that sort of falls into the you know the kiss method where you didn't have to deal with an electronic thing that resets. You know, a nice mechanical timer and power goes out. It doesn't care. It just continues yeah. on where it left off when the power finally does come back on. So that does work out well. And it is an economical way of doing it, so you don't have to have this super huge sump if you can you know yeah. have four beds that are all timed uh, differently. Um, well, that's the other thing, too, right? You can use a $20 Allied Aqua pump because you're yeah. only filling an ebb and flow bed. You're, you're using that pump 25% of the time, so it's economics as far as energy savings, but it's also like, well, that pump's going to last four times as long. Right. Because you're, not, yeah, you're so not beating on it. it. Like what you're saying earlier, it's, it all depends on the situation that yep. you're, uh, you want to grow in. <laughs> yep, yep. Like I've got one that's on a 300-gallon reserve. And then it's got two 50-gallon beds, and they're full of Lika. So they're maybe taking 20 gallons a piece, and they're, they're plumbed common. 
So it's one pump, ebb and flow. Mm -hmm. You know, it does like a hundred gallon bed basically. No problems whatsoever. But if I wanted to, and I could string, you know, six of those beds off of that, you get into where your 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 fish are going. Hey, uh, uh, universe is <laughs> shrinking here. You know. Yeah. And then you exactly. get into trouble. Try. Like, I try to maintain all my reservoirs of float valves. That way, you just because I'm on a well, so I don't have to worry about anything like that. So uh, then you get when you drop it down, your float valves just and then you're overflowing so there's limits yeah. to it but man yeah. where it works it works great the reason i found you yep. i gotta give you props on this even though you said you changed it because it, it would come into problems um was the thing you had with the the water bottle fills up and it opens a flush valve and then it, it dumps it fills back up i thought that was one of the coolest things i've ever seen to avoid stuck siphons yeah you know it It actually worked fairly well. Maybe if I had it on a larger scale, it would have been okay. You know that it um, it would clog up with algae, and you know yeah. I was just using a water bottle for it, so it had open side, you know, clear sides on it. But I yeah. bet if if I put more effort into it, it probably would have worked uh, even better. But the first it, thing it I thought job. was you had like a little the, the cap on the bottle for people who haven't seen this. I'll put a link to that video so people can check this out. So they know what we're talking about. Had a little hole drilled in it, and the water filled the bottle faster than it came out of the hole and then when drained. the pump flushed right. it's the water stopped and it would drain and so that cap that little hole in the cap i imagine that's what was clogging on you i was like if you just had two caps yeah. and every day you switch the cap but then you got the human <laughs> in the equation and you're not gonna yeah. do it every you know every you're, day right you're just not pesky humans are nothing but trouble you don't yeah. want a human involved with anything <laughs> that's why i like automation my, my my buddy that's big in automation says you know what would you do if you didn't have to do it And the answer is a lot. But then when it fails, yeah. that's the other side, right? Right, exactly. Anyway, man, I really... You know, you look at... Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I really enjoyed having you on today. Um, I'll make sure I have links to your site, uh, Bigelow Brooks Farm, uh, Bigelow Brook Farm, uh, and your YouTube channel and everything else today so people can find it. Um, this is episode 2829, if you are listening to this in the future and we are speaking to you from the past because that happens. And, and other than that, Rob, I want to give you last word. Anything else you want to share before you go? No, I appreciate the, the time and uh, having a good sounding board to discuss this with a bunch of people. Well, cool, man. If you decide you, want to, you got something new, you want to talk about something else, something comes up, You want to come back on, just let us know. We are, we'd be happy to have you back on anytime. Great. I appreciate it. Well, great interview. I really hope I hear from Rob about coming back on again. I have a feeling we just scratched the surface about the things that we could get into today. I think it'd be interesting for – you know what I actually think would be really cool? To get like me, Rob, and another Rob, if we could work it out. I mentioned him during the show today, Rob Bob. Right from Rob Bob's uh, Aquaponics uh, YouTube channel, awesome dude as well from Australia. To get the three of us on like a live panel Q and A and do a podcast that way, uh, I'm thinking about finally breaking down and coming into the modern world of podcasting for my guests and all, and getting Zoom or Streamyard or something like that. And that would make that a little bit easier. To do. Now with Rob Bob, it would be a little time, <laughs> a little out of time sequence thing going on there to make that work. Maybe somebody else. I don't know. Who else that like I really, really dig their 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 their, their aquaponics stuff? It'd be cool to get that together, and then like have you guys live asking us questions, and then that would run as a live stream and do a podcast. I think that would be cool. We're we're gonna get there. I, I know 
I'm a dinosaur on some things, guys. I, on some levels, I'm a young man, and on some levels, I'm an old man. And uh, all these new texts, I mean, I only one thing at a time, I guess, is, is the deal there. But uh, I have something else going on that I can't tell you about just yet that, that, that getting that tech going would probably be a good idea for as well. And that involves somebody else who I think is a really interesting guy to have on a panel discussion someday, Nick Ferguson. But exactly what? I can't tell you just yet, but you know, stay attention. Stay attention. Stay stay tuned in, and you will hear more as we get closer on that one. With that, let's go ahead and wrap things up. Let me remind you, one of the ways you can help support this show and the work that we do is do your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. Go to tspaz.com, and no matter what you buy, as long as you start there, you help support us. Today's item of the day, and remember, if it's, if it's listed on tspaz as an item that's been reviewed, and all of my stuff I've ever reviewed is there, and it's in categories al alphabetical. So you want to see, like, cooking stuff or energy stuff or lighting or hydroponic, aquaponic stuff. It's all there, and it's all listed You can click on a category, scroll through it. If it's there, I own it. I bought it. I use it. If I needed another one, I would buy it again, or I will not recommend it. Today's item definitely meets all of those criteria. It's the stainless steel insulated French press by Secura. Um, I've become a coffee snob with, with French presses. I really have. Uh, it is... Other than getting to like the level of like a full on like cappuccino machine or something like that, like a expensive one, which by the way, my, we had one, my water kills it. Um, you, you can't do better. You get that little bit of oil on the top, you know, it just, it just so much better than just about any other way as far as I'm concerned, to make coffee. also makes great tea. Stainless steel, it can't break. We actually found this one. We had a glass one I used to recommend, and I, I still like it. I just like this one better. And my wife and I were going to Florida, and instead of using our stupid little Keurig machine, we wanted to pick our own coffee and all. She's like, we should take the French press. And I'm like, uh, it's glass. When those orangutan baggage handlers get a hold of our baggage, it's going to be broken. So I found this one and gave it a shot. And, man, do I! It, it's insulated. It holds heat longer. It's just fantastic. It's on sale today. Uh, the smaller one is knocked down like 20 bucks, And then the big 50-ounce one, which is the one I, I recently bought one of those, and, and we use it exclusively now, really, uh, $37. Bucks, and that is a knockoff of another 20 bucks. So it's a great product. You want to check it out. It's made by a company called Secura. And uh, it's just a great product and a great way to make coffee, tea, uh, to do infusions for making meads. Lots of cool stuff. With that, let's wrap things up completely for the day with our song of the day. We're doing all highway kind of driving songs and stuff like that this week. And the one John Adam gave me for today, who does all the music lists for me, I just wasn't feeling it. It's a Hank. It's Lost Highway by Hank Williams Sr. And, man, I like some old country. I mean old, like older than classic, right? Like old, like Glenn Cam like original first-generation Glenn Campbell. Uh, old Will Willie and Waylon and, 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 and all of that stuff. Hank Sr. has some songs I like, but he has a lot of songs that are really, really, really twangy and not quite me, and that this that was just one of them. And I was like, but I, you know what? I don't want to go do something real new. I still want to kind of reach back, maybe not that far, do something really classic that's really like a song that you just, on a long-distance road trip, you love to hear, maybe especially driving at night, maybe driving at night through the mountains, 
with a good rain. Not one of those blinding rains that makes you in fear of your life. Just a good, cleansing summer rain. Well, you guys know what song that is, don't you? Smoky Mountain Rain by Ronnie Millsap. And I'll tell you, one of the one of the coolest things that ever happened, my wife and I, a few years ago, went to Gatlinburg. And uh, we, we flew into Nashville. We had to drive from Nashville down to Gatlinburg. And just when we got outside of, like, the shitty part where you get on to actually like the winding byways going through the mountains and we're surfing channels. I'm like, oh, stop! I get heard that very, that first little bit of music at the beginning. It's very discernible. You know, you can tell exactly what it is. They're like, go back there! And driving into Gatlinburg or through the mountains toward Gatlinburg listening to this song was really cool. It would have been dark in the rain. It would have even been cooler. With that, it's been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. I'm away from L.A. back to Knoxville I found out those bright lights ain't where I belong From a phone booth in the rain I called to tell her I've had a change of dreams, I'm coming home But tears fill my eyes when I found out she was gone Smoky Mountain Rain Keeps on falling I keep on calling Her name Smoky Mountain Rain I'll keep on searching I can't go on hurting This way That he was going as far as Gatlinburg I climbed up in the cab all wet and cold and lonely I wiped my eyes and told him about her Got to find her, can you make these big wheels burn? Someone warm to hold I feel the rain running down my face I'll find her no matter what it takes